All right. Back in Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Slowly but surely working our way through this letter. None of us are in a hurry to get through it, are we? Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be still in the same passage of scriptures that we've been looking at for the last two or three weeks. <coughs> We're going to uh, continue looking and pick up where we left off last week about looking at this law and how it is the... That is the uh, elements of this world or the rudiments and the elements of this world. Uh, the elements of, that hold us in bondage. And uh, we want to continue to look at the law. I mentioned last week at the end of the message that uh, this week I wanted to look and go through, at least starting in the New Testament, we can go back to the Old, to the old Testament and, and look at a few things as well. But uh, mainly here in the New Testament, we read of, the, of course, you know, a lot of this stuff was revealed or made manifest after the uh, new covenant was sealed by Christ's blood. And uh, we uh, uh, we begin to read of more revealed understanding of God's work of salvation and his purpose and plan in the New Testament. And so... Uh, whenever we go back and read the Old Testament, although we get a lot of understanding and knowledge and, and it's definitely God's word, I don't slight the Old Testament. Uh, I will be honest, I probably spend more time studying in the New Testament than I do in the Old Testament. But uh, the Old Testament is, is, is nowhere near inferior to the New Testament in the regards that it's God's word. It's God's word all the way through. And is equally important. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So uh, we need the Old Testament as well. However, for what we are looking at uh, today and, and have been looking at the last few weeks, we want to see that New Testament understanding of what that Old Testament law was given to us for and find out what our understanding is. How are we as the children of God, if we are Christ's children, if we are the elect of God, if we are children of grace, um, what is our relationship to the law now? What, what, the mosaic, uh, that mosaic law, the, the uh, Old Testament law that God had given, uh, all however many there was there, six, seven hundred or whatever there was, what is our, uh, relation to that as children of grace whenever we have been uh, preach the gospel that God has given us repentance and faith and we have been converted from our old way of thinking of self-righteousness for God's acceptance to seeing that Christ has given us a righteousness that he has done everything for us and on our behalf and that he has called and given us faith to uh, believe on that for our salvation, to believe on that as our salvation, not to get our salvation. We don't ever believe to get salvation. We believe because we have been saved and we believe on him as our salvation. He has done it all for us. And so there is a difference between that. One is a act of works and the other is a part of faith that Christ has given us. 
is to look away from ourselves and our self-righteousness and our law-keeping. So, as we looked last week, we began to see that uh, as immature or as children, we um, have a... Uh, we have an understanding that is still governed by, as the Bible says here, uh, being in bondage to the elements of this world, to the rudimentary, uh, the elementary things of knowledge. Okay, the Bible says that the child of grace is going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit is going to be our teacher, and he is given to lead us into all knowledge uh, and all understanding of, of the word of God, its vastness is there. And listen, you know, as long as I've been studying the Bible, I'm still learning things. I'm still growing in my understanding of God's word and things that I thought I knew, I, I find that I was wrong in and I have to be corrected by God's word or thankfully by brothers and sisters who may uh, love me enough to pull me aside and say, hey, have you taken a look at this? Have you thought about this? And gently corrected and, and, and came to me in love by, uh, telling me the right thing to, to look at in God's Word. And so we grow as, as, when we first come into the knowledge of Christ and we are, are as like children in the knowledge of Christ, as we begin to grow, we begin to put away that childish understanding and we begin to take on a mature understanding of God's Word. And that is what Paul is conveying here. He's conveyed that knowledge, as I mentioned last week, in the, into the Corinthian church, as it pertained to the spiritual gifts, or the, uh, should I say, the special gifts that God had given to the church for a certain purpose and a certain amount of time uh, in establishing the New Testament church. Um, and so Paul has used this language before uh, of a child, but let's read our passages today. I'm going to read at, uh, verse 1, and I'm going to read down to uh, verse uh, 9. It says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now see that where he says, even so, he's making a comparison there. He said, in the natural understanding of things, children are uh, not anything, anything different than a servant. They're under tutors and governors. These children of mine, the Lord has given them to me for a certain amount of time, then at some point the Lord may take them out to, to be married and to start a family of their own. Until then, they're uh, under my headship. They're in my family, and it's my responsibility to care for them, to nurture them, and the and, and admonish them in, in the uh, uh, in the in the uh, things of the of, of the Lord. Uh, and 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 so that is my my responsibility to do and to and to teach them and to uh, discipline them. That's part of the growing process as part of the maturing process is to discipline children. Sometimes my children don't obey. I have to discipline them. We have to do something to discipline them, whether it's spanking them or taking something away that they like or whatever the case might be. There has to be discipline there. And that discipline reminds them whenever I spank my child. Now they're all older now and it's, you know, it's a, I don't do much spank. We don't do much spanking anymore. Uh, it's more like taking Fortnite away. That hurts them worse than the spanking does. But anyway, 
the discipline, whenever we discipline the child, whether it's spanking or whatever it is, that is to remind you that you did not keep the rules, right? Every time that child was spanked, he was reminded, this was the rule, you broke the rule, you didn't keep the rule, you must be punished. The law of God was given so that it might show us, and we'll see that today in some verses that we'll read, the law of God was never given to make us obedient. The law that was given to my kids, even though that law is something that I desired for them to do, that I wanted for them to do, I know that because my children are children, they are going to disobey. If any parent thinks that their children has the capacity to not disobey, they're madly mistaken. Okay, children will disobey because they are sinners by nature. They are sinners by nature and they are going to disobey. People will sin against God because our natures are sinful and they will break God's laws. There is nothing that we can do to stop that. Nobody can keep themselves from sinning. The Bible says it's impossible. And so, what is the purpose then of the law? Well, we've seen that the purpose of the law has been given to manifest that sin that we have, to show us how sinful we are, to show us that in all your efforts, if you break at, at, if at the very least one, which we've broken many, at the very least broken one, you're guilty of breaking every commandment that God has ever given and that your sentence is death. The wages of sin is death. If you sin one sin, that's, that's your sentence is death. If Jesus does not save you, that is your sentence. And so the law is there to show us, to prove us that we did not keep the law and that punishment is coming. Okay? The gospel is for the child of grace because nobody can understand or, or receive the gospel except that they be born from above, that they have the spirit of God in them, the spirit that has given them the ability to understand spiritual things. And whenever it's there and it grants repentance and faith to understand that that law is pressing down in condemnation against me, then they look towards Christ for salvation. They look to him for mercy, they look to him for grace, they look to him as their salvation. And so the law for the child of grace is a schoolmaster that pushes them or teaches them or <clears throat> reveals to them their need for Christ. And so that's the purpose of the law. The law was never made or given to make anybody righteous, to never cause anybody to be justified uh, you know, if Adam would have continued to, you know, if he wouldn't have ate that of that tree right then, which he, there's no way he could not have because that was God's ordaining thing for Adam. But if Adam wouldn't have ate that and he continued to live forever, he still would not have been saved. Because God had ordained that man be made by nature to be of the earth earthy, to be incapable and Adam would have failed, period. He would have failed into sin and death eventually because that was God's ordained pattern or ordained purpose uh, in bringing many sons to glory through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. So, let's look. Even so, we, 
when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, under the rudimentary things. And we seen that last week is talking about the law. But when the fullness of time of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So he was made under the law. Uh, he was uh, under all the things that, that the law had prescribed. And he kept every one of those. He did not break any law of God. He obeyed all the law of God on our behalf for us. So that we would receive the adoption of sons. See, the only way that we could be considered sons or be sons is because of our union with Christ, right? And the only way we could be in union with Christ is if we have been set apart by God and have been redeemed of God to have been his people. We owed a price. He had to pay it. And so he went and paid the price on our behalf so that God could be the just and the justifier. God cannot be just if he justifies sinners, and we are sinners. Yes, we were united to Christ before we ever sinned. That was our spiritual life that was in Christ, hidden with God before the foundation of the world. That part, that part of me, that existence of me, that spirit life that is in Christ Jesus, that never sinned. It didn't have any sin. But this body of flesh, it would have sinned. And God, in that covenant of grace with Christ, was going to redeem the people that would inhabit these earthly vessels of clay that could not keep the law of God and would break the law of God. So he, in that covenant, covenanted within the Godhead to save this people who would be inside this body of flesh, that this old man, this Adamic man, might be able to receive the adoption of sons that we might be able to see in light of the fact that we see ourselves breaking the law over and over and over and over again, we can count ourselves Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, that we might know what is freely given to us. That is why we receive the spirit of God and the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption is that spirit that comes within us that tells us that we are his children. Okay? And so we look to Christ and he gives us that assurance uh, by our uh, by the spirit that is in us, not by anything we do outwardly. He says, to redeem them that are... We're under the law that we might receive the adoption of children. And because ye are sons, see, we were already sons. God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He sent the spirit into us so that we might cry out to God as our father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant in our understanding, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? So Paul here is telling this Galatian church, or churches, he's saying, you know, whenever you were in ignorance... Whenever you were as like a servant, when you were 
when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Whenever you were in ignorance, you were running around listening to all this jive about keeping the law for righteousness, keeping the law for, for salvation, all this stuff that you were doing. He's saying, but now that you know the gospel, you've been preached the gospel, you believe the gospel, receive that for yourself, and counted yourself children of God, how now are you wanting to turn back to that which you were in bondage to, that you've been set free from, and why are you wanting to go back in there to continue to walk in for righteousness sake when you've learned that righteousness doesn't come that way? Paul's saying this is really crazy for you to do that. <clears throat> and so that's why I want to talk today about what does the New Testament say about the law and why Paul is telling them you're crazy if you think that way. You're crazy, child of grace, to think to go back under the law is something that is going to be good or beneficial to you. And there are so many preachers out there today that are admonishing their churches, that are admonishing the people of God, that they have to keep these laws in order to be right before God or to be right with God. That, that, and listen, there may even be some that's out there, I know there are some out there, that preach that you have to keep these laws to get saved, to be saved. If you don't keep these laws, you're not saved. Lordship salvation people out there teaching that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you've not accepted him as your Lord. If you're not out there and keeping the law and being in obedience to him, then that shows that he's really not, been, he's not really saved you. Otherwise, you would have this big life change to where you've becoming more and more and more holy like Christ. And brethren, the Bible says that we can't be. Our flesh is just flesh and never will please God. I know I've said that a million times since we started through Galatians, but I'll probably say it a million and five more. Okay? I'm hoping that the Spirit teaches us that, that we cannot please God through our law-keeping. We have to trust on the Lord for our law-keeping. That's where our only hope is at. Is to trust, our only hope is not in our trusting, but our hope is in the Lord and what He has done. And He has given us the Spirit so that we can trust that. And don't, don't let the conscience be sullied or be, be clouded with the fact that you continue to sin. Now that's, again, I have to reiterate this. That's not saying, well, do whatever you want, go sin, any kind of thing. What you want to do, live immoral, live all this kind of stuff the way you want, because it doesn't matter to God what you do and all that stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that every sin that has been ordained for you from the time you were birthed into this world until the time you die or Christ comes back, every sin that God has ordained for you, that's going to take place. Everyone that God has ordained and that Christ has died for, we're going to commit those sins and everything. But that's on God's part. That's what God knows. We don't know that. As far as we understand, we're to walk and, 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 and to trust in Christ Jesus. And our desire is not to break God's laws. We love the law of God in our mind, but we find that in our flesh dwells no good thing. And that I am a wretched person and that I cannot keep the law uh, of God in my flesh and so that I serve the law of God with my flesh but praise the Lord in my mind I keep the law of God and that there is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus 
So let's look this morning, if you will, at the law and what the Bible says about the law. Why is it crazy? Why is Paul being so uh, fanatic about trying to teach these people about the danger of going back and thinking that the law is something that we have to try to keep for righteousness, for acceptance, for duty, for whatever the case might be, and why that is dangerous. Because some may say, well, what difference? I mean, yes, we believe in sovereign grace. Yes, we believe that Jesus paid the price for us. Yes, we believe it was all Jesus. But shouldn't we be holy? Shouldn't we walk holy? Doesn't God say, be ye holy, for I am holy? Doesn't he say that? Or someone may say, well, what difference does it make if the preacher preaches that? Aren't those good things to endeavor to? Yes, they are good things to endeavor to in, in this regard. That our desire is to please the Lord Jesus. The desire is not to be ashamed before others and, and sully God's name. Okay? That might be our thought process. But listen, brethren, when we preach the law, it always will bring us into bondage. When we preach the law, it brings the child of grace, or whoever's listening there to the child, the child of grace, it brings them into bondage because it brings in a, 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 a spirit of fear, which we shouldn't have a spirit of fear. We have not been given a spirit of, of fear or bondage. Okay? We've been given a spirit of liberty and of freedom. Christ has freed us from the, and, and given us liberty and, and given us, taken us from condemnation of the law. The condemnation of the law is not there. That's what I just quoted there for. There's now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. That is to give us in our consciousness the knowledge that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Yes, God knows every sin we're going to sin, but there is no condemnation. Every law that is going to be broke, God knows, but there's no condemnation because someone substituted that keeping of the law for us and also substituted the taking of the wrath of God for the sinning of that law against that law. Christ took that on both accounts. He lived for us. He died for us. And the Bible says that he rose for our justification. He rose for us so that we could be justified before God and that God would accept that work of obedience and death on our behalf. And so he rose from the dead, signifying that God has accepted that, which we knew he would because Isaiah 53 tells us that he was seeing the travail of the soul and was satisfied. And by his righteous servant, the many would be justified. <clears throat> but let's see. Why, Paul? Why, Paul, don't you just encourage the people to keep the law because it's good for them to do so? Well, I'm going to show you why. Let's go back to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. I pray the Lord keep my voice until we get through today. I guess if he takes the voice away, then we are through today. That's simple. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15. If you guys remember whenever we first began our exposition in, in Galatians, we went back to Acts at this Jerusalem council uh, because Paul had uh, uh, he had referenced that 
whenever he and uh, Barnabas had went and talked with the Jerusalem council. And so we went back and we looked at this passage and we kind of broke it all down. But that's been several months ago. And uh, But let's look at this because this kind of begins where we see this discussion on are we to preach the law to people? Are we, as far as keeping the law for righteousness or acceptance or keeping us in right, in right standing with God? Are we to preach this law? Are we to press upon people the commands of God for law keeping? <clears throat> Uh, and this is kind of where it all began. I mean, it didn't start in this time period or in the Reformation or whenever, you know, it didn't start then. It started with the very first church <clears throat> and those following churches that began to form as the church was scattered uh, and began to preach throughout the region. Look at verse one. And it, it says, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And see, that's what that's what the Judaizers of today are saying. Unless you continue to keep this law or that law or do this thing or that thing, then you cannot be saved because surely a child of God who has been born again is going to keep the commands of God or want to do the commands of God and keep them or try to keep them. Whatever they might say, okay? Well, that's what they were saying right here. There were some that had come down from Judea and came in among the brethren. There were some that was in the churches in Galatia who had come in and had begun to bewitch the Galatian churches by saying the exact same thing. We need to be circumcised after the manner of Moses or ye cannot be saved. That means, listen, we are preaching Jesus died for us but you cannot be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. You cannot be saved unless you're circumcised after the law of Moses. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus saved, not the keeping of the law. Okay? Now listen, verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, that means that the apostle Paul and Barnabas both disagreed with that statement that you have to keep that law to be saved. So the very doctrine of keeping laws to be saved was immediately smashed at the very beginning in the church of Jesus Christ, the New Testament church. It isn't something that came along with the formulations of doctrines of church councils, of church fathers, of Catholic this or Catholic that or Protestant this, Protestant that, reformations, confessions of faith, all that kind of, no, listen, it started right here with the very apostles who heard the very words of Christ from his lips, teach them his doctrine and his gospel. And they said, no, that is not the doctrine of Christ. They had a no small dissension. Matter of fact, it, 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 I mean, it says no small dissension and disputation. That means it was a very, uh, very big dissension and disputation. That means that this was very paramount, that they understood that that is not what Jesus Christ, you guys coming down from Judea who is corrupting the churches with this. This is not what Jesus said. This is not what Jesus gave for us to preach. 
He was the end of the law for that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. There is no righteousness in the law and keeping the law. The righteousness comes by the work of Christ alone and the imputation of his righteousness to us. And so Paul and Barnabas, it says, with them that are when they're the, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem into the apostles, unto the apostles and elders about this question. What question? The question of whether or not they should keep the law to be saved. <coughs> Specifically circumcision. But we'll find out it wasn't just circumcision. Verse 3. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto the brethren. Notice, if you will, this is just a side note. Declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, not the saving of the Gentiles. Their preaching was not saving anybody. Their pre- as far as legal salvation is concerned. <coughs> The gospel, whenever it's heard and preached, only saves us in the fact that if you're a child of grace given spiritual ears, it saves us from thinking wrongly about how righteousness is given or how righteousness is established and about the gospel. That's the only, it saves us from wrong thinking of the gospel and wrong thinking about righteousness. But as far as before God saving us, justifying us before God, The preaching of the gospel is not what saves us. The believing of the gospel is not what saves us. Christ dying for us is what saved us. That's what saved us. That is objective. It is not subjective to us and our actions. The the objective work of Christ in dying for us is what saved you. That was declared and set in the purpose of God before the foundation of the world, and it will not change, it's infallible. All those that God had chosen from the foundation of the world and written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those would be the people who would be the recipients and will be the recipients of what Christ did in time, at the point in time that he did it. All those before Christ, boom, that's theirs. All those after Christ, boom, that's theirs. It didn't have anything to do with the Old Testament saints doing anything. It doesn't have anything with our, the New Testament saints doing anything. It all had to do and was all based upon what Christ did himself. And that's what the eternal covenant is based on. It's based in blood, Christ's blood. And God would not accept anything else by the bulls, by the blood of bulls and goats or gold or silver or anything else. God would not accept anything else as payment or as any reason to justify a sinner except for Christ's blood. And only for those whom Christ died will God look on as righteous because they're the only ones who are imputed with righteousness. So Paul here, the question that they are coming to Jerusalem to deal with is these guys keep coming around to the churches saying that we got to keep preaching that we have to keep the law for salvation, and that is anti-gospel. And as we heard at the beginning of the Galatians, any other gospel is no gospel, and if anybody is preaching another gospel, let them be cursed. Let them be an anathema. They are not 
pleasers of God, they are pleasers of men. They are not servants of God. They are servants of self. Okay? It says, verse 3, And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain, now you see there that word certain again, we see in verse 1, there were certain men which came down. This is speaking of a specific sect, sect, S-E-C-T, sect of people within believers. Now notice, now, and I want you to pay close attention to this because i got something to say about this here in your mouth. <clears throat> but there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed. Now here, the word of God is telling us that these Pharisees believed. They were believers. And it says, they were saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Here were men in the church, the first church, the church that Jesus established at Jerusalem, where all the apostles say Paul was still present at. Still ministering among them. And they, and the Bible, God himself, who wrote this, who spoke these words, what does it say? Those men were believers. Now that right there, I have to submit to, no matter what my feelings about that is, what my thoughts about that is, what my wisdom seems to try to twist and turn and figure out, it says that those men were believers who believed in keeping the law for salvation. Now, there are a lot of us, and I include myself in this, that you will find on Facebook, I've been guilty of this, still to this day, I struggle with this, okay? That say that men who preach the law are, are saying that the law is something that needs to be kept for salvation, cannot be believers, cannot be born of God, or may even say the reprobates. Well, we don't know that. We don't know who the reprobates are. We don't know who the elect are. But here we see, we've seen in Galatians, we just read it, it says that we, when we were children, were under tutors, and we believe those things about the rudimentary, rudimentary elementary things of the, of the world, okay? We believe those things. We thought it was true. Okay, well, i got to keep the law. Well, listen, there still may be preachers who believe that. Who preach? you got to keep the law. Now, do I agree with them? No. Are they preaching the gospel? No. And if there is no repentance granted to them, and they go on their way to their deathbed, guess what? They probably wasn't. But there can be a time where somebody believes these things and still be a believer. The Bible tells us that. I have to submit to that, whether that agrees with my theology. But in Christ's theology, there is room for people to be young in understanding, immature in understanding, and still be a believer. And we should give them 
long suffering. We should now we should try to correct. Yes, we should be be there to reprove and, and rebuke with the word of God. Try to teach them uh, uh, in uh, long suffering and in meekness, praying that God would grant to them repentance uh, and, and belief of the truth. But brethren, we can't just kick people out and with a blanket statement say, "Well, if you're preaching that or teaching that, then you're not elect, or you're not a believer." Okay. Because these men were believing that Christ died for them. They were believing that Christ was the only way, but they still, and remember, there was 2,000 or so years of ingraining in these, in these people. Maybe not 2,000 years, but from, from Abraham down, and especially from Moses down, there was this ingraining of obedience, 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 obedience. The law, the law, the law, Moses, Moses, sacrifice and sacrifice. All this stuff was ingrained in them. Matter of fact, the Bible, whenever it said to, when you wake up, when you lie down, and then whenever you, you, you take these things and put them on your, on your wrist and on your forehead and all this stuff, they took that stuff literally, some of them did. Where you know, every morning when they woke up, they did all this reading. When they went to bed, they did all this reading. They rolled up little scrolls and they put them in these things on their arms and on their foreheads and carried them around and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they took this stuff literally. It was ingrained in them. And so these men were no different. These were Pharisees who just recently, a few weeks, a few days, uh, maybe a month or two, I don't know how long it was up to this point, but it wasn't very long because in just a few chapters before that, we found that that 120 turned into 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. So we know it wasn't very long. These men were still ingrained with the wrong teaching, the wrong thinking. And Christ, by his spirit, begins to teach us. And one of the things is about the law. Listen, I used to believe we had to keep the law. I don't know more, but we I used to believe that. Was I non-elect when I didn't believe it? No, I wasn't. Was I a believer when I believed sovereign grace, but I still believed that there was some part of the law that we had to keep? No, I was a believer. I believed that we were saved by sovereign grace. But there was still was the thing, well, yeah, but God changes us, and we have to start doing all this stuff and keep the law. That's I was immature in my thinking. I was a child under the rudiments of the world, under the teachings of the world, the elementary things that the world thinks is what righteousness comes by is by obedience. But now, the Bible says, we've been given repentance and faith. And in that conversion, we move from that thinking and we believe in Christ as he gives us understanding. So, Paul, or excuse me, the Holy Spirit here calls them believers. So I would encourage uh, anybody here and anybody watching or listening uh, that you might, you know, take a look at that at least. And, it, you know, if I'm wrong about what I'm saying here, I'll be glad to entertain any rebuke or reprove by Scripture, not by philosophy, but by Scripture, that how these men, could the Holy Spirit call them believers, um, and yet, and, and then still believing that you have to keep the law and then not be considered believers. So anyway, I digress on that. But you see here that there were those who were saying not just to be circumcised, but 
to keep the law of Moses. So it isn't just about circumcision, it's about law keeping all the way around. Okay? Now look at verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter about keeping the law and being circumcised to believe or to be saved. And when there had been much disputing, so obviously it wasn't just a agreement among everybody. I mean, it, this was a, you know, I've been to a lot of uh, Bible conferences and we get together at lunchtime and all of us preachers and, and any of the other men that's around that's sitting here at talking doctrine and stuff like that. Sometimes we can have some disagreements how we see and understand certain things where the Lord has us in our understanding. And sometimes those things, I mean, we can go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Now, thankfully, I've not ran into at these conferences a lot of fighting or, you know, ill will towards each other. Now, online, you find it all the time. But when you come into true churches and you begin to deal with people face-to-face in in an actual fellowship environment, things change a little bit. There's a little more love and kindness shown in the uh, in the correction and rebuking area than whenever you're the king behind the keyboard and you can hide behind your monitor and your and your and your Facebook page. <clears throat> it says and when there had been much disputing Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by law-keeping. Their hearts were purified because they kept obeying. No, it says purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? Now, look, what is preaching the law? Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Whenever we preach the law, that's putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even even like they, or as they. See, God is, is saving them by grace, not law-keeping, because they never was under the law. God never told them or give them a law to keep. The Gentiles never was under that, never was given that. He saved them strictly through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of Christ alone. He saved them by grace. And Paul is saying, listen, it's no different for this Jewish church. It's no different than us Jews. We are saved the same way he's saving them. And he's saving them the same way he's saving us. There's no difference. God is not making any difference between us. He's not saving us by the law keeping and them by grace alone. No, no, no. It's all the same. That's what he's saying there. Verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had beheld their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to disagree the words of the prophets, uh, as it is written, After this I will return, and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Now, side note here, everybody thinks that there's going to be a temple rebuilt during some millennial reign of Christ and everything. The New Testament is shedding light on that Old Testament prophecy. 
That Old Testament prophecy about the tabernacle of David being rebuilt is talking about the Gentiles being included in the salvation by grace. That's what James is saying here. James is saying that what he's talking about is the is the Gentiles are being saved apart from the law. We're being saved apart from the law. And that is what those two peoples, the Gentiles, the Jews, becoming one people in a spiritual aspect and being saved not by the natural things in law-keeping and all that obedience, but by grace. And what Christ has done is what is being talked about in the building of rebuilding of David's tabernacle that had fallen. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. Trouble them how? By telling them that they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Okay? But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For my, and Why? You're saying, well, wait a minute. We're telling them not to, that it's not by law keeping that they're saved or that they have to keep laws. But now you're telling them to give, to have some laws. Well, there is a reason for this. Look at verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So in all these cities where all these Jews are, are at and coming from that have been scattered, okay, the Bible says that they have synagogues there and that there has been this preaching and teaching of Moses, just as I said a while ago, that has been read to them and pre- preached to them from then until now. So what's he saying? Let's, let's not be so harsh on some of this stuff right away because some of these men have never heard anything any different. And if we go in there guns a-blazing, or it's probably what some people might say, caged Calvinist, you know, although we hate that term, Calvinist, but if we go in there guns a-blazing, it's not going to change whether they're saved or not. It's not going to change whether or not they hear the gospel or not. But what it can be, it can be an offense to them. It can be an offense to them on how we do that. Okay? And we don't want to be an offense. The gospel in and of itself is an offense to those who don't know it. But we don't want to be an offense to them. Right? And that's what I see so often is men coming in on conversations and we have young Christians or or immature men who have been taught so much. I mean, I was one of them. I've been raised up from the time I was born until, you know, 2000, into 2004, 2005, something like that, 2003, 2000, somewhere along in, in the 2000 to 2003 area, 2004 area. It's when the Lord began to show me sovereign grace in the scriptures. And during that time period, listen, there was a lot of men that whenever I was talking and saying things wrong, boom, it just blasted me right over the head. And it discouraged me. It discouraged me. It made me upset. It made me not want to talk to them. It made me not want to go visit them, go to, you know, any of their Bible conferences, you know. 
That's how you're going to treat people. I'm so, I mean, hey, I'm just not learning. Cut me some slack. I'm still trying to learn. I'm praying that the Spirit will teach me these things. Okay? And men come in a blazing, just wanting to cut your brothers and sisters down. And listen, we shouldn't be that way. He said, Simon hath declared, or excuse me, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble them not. We don't want to trouble them with this law keeping. But why does he give them this law? Well, because Moses has been preached all the time. In verse 22, Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that, here's the word again, certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such command. See, the apostles who had received the gospel directly from Christ's lips said, we have not given any command for anybody to, 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 to say or to teach in the churches. Not that they had the authority. The apostles didn't have any authority over these churches, brethren. But what he is saying is, as the ones who Christ entrusted as that first church, Jerusalem, he entrusted them the, the gospel, entrusted them the uh, uh, the delegated authority of administering the things of the kingdom, the ordinances of God, the preaching of the uh, uh, the word of God, and uh, the commission uh, of going out and making disciples. That was given to the local church, and the apostles were the ones that the Bible says that Christ laid first in the church because he was. They were the ones that he brought to himself to train as the gospel preachers to 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 thoroughly. Uh, uh, teach them all the things of his doctrine because they would be the ones who would be the leaders to be the shepherds of these people at the very beginning stages and that they would know and understand this gospel to lay that within the church, this doctrine. And as the churches were beginning to be um, uh, populated around the region, as the gospel was spreading, they would lay those foundations properly with doctrine. And so that's what that's talking about here is that <clears throat> he says, uh, we have not given that command. See, it's not that they have the rule over those people. It's just that they're saying, listen, there is a nobody from Jerusalem that, that where Jesus began everything saying that you have to keep the law. That That's not coming from the gospel New Testament church. It's not coming from that. It's coming from some of those believers that's among us that are still influenced by their past teaching, by their past understanding, who still is not thought rightly or been given to think rightly. Verse 25, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Now, this is the letter that they sent with Barnabas and Paul to give to these churches, Okay. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So they're giving confirmation, they're giving accreditation to Paul and to Barnabas as, listen, we have heard as that as this first church that Jesus actually was in with us, teaching us, we have heard their message. Because remember, Paul and Barnabas, they came outside. They came after what happened with Jesus and the first apostles. They came later on down. That's why Paul said that he was one born out of due time. Okay? He was born as an apostle, not with the other ones, but with outside of that as a special apostle to the Gentiles. And so he, they are given an accreditation. They are given a, a commendation. That's like whenever we have any members here that move and want to move their membership to a church that is of like faith and practice. And we see that that church uh, is preaching the doctrine of Christ and is keeping the ordinance of Christ uh, within that church. And that member seeks membership there. What do we do? We send a letter of commendation and saying, you know, hey, we send this person to you. This person, this member is in good standing and uh, believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, all that. We send a letter of commendation. Well, that's what's happening here is they have sent this letter of commendation with these men to let them know, hey, these men are speaking with the authority of Jesus Christ because they are speaking the doctrine and the, and the message that Christ had given us from the very beginning. So he said, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So Judas and Silas was also sent to bear witness because the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. They sent Judas and Silas, that's two witnesses, and they sent this letter, that's three witnesses, to these people that Paul and Barnabas' message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these, and look at here, necessary things. It's not the commands that you have to keep for salvation or to stay right with God, but he said these are necessary things because these men who are in these synagogues who have been indoctrinated for all these years and been preaching these things for all these years, and now these other ones who are coming and trying to subvert you, it's necessary for us to approach this thing in a way that is not going to turn them away or be offensive to them right off the bat that we must have our opportunity to come in and preach because these men may not let you in the synagogue if you're doing these things because they still think these things is what matters. So we're just telling you, Stay away from the pollution of idols, from fornications, from things strangled, and from blood because it's necessary that you might do those things so that you might have opportunity to come in and to be able to preach among them and not to offend them to the point where they say, we don't want to hear this, go away, and therefore you have opportunity to preach the gospel. It says... <clears throat> That ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if we keep, if ye keep yourselves, ye do well, fare ye well. So then they, uh, so when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. The consolation about what? What was they, what did they rejoice about? What was the consolation? <laughs> the consolation that they didn't have to keep the law for righteousness. 
that they didn't have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised for salvation. That's the, that's what they, re, that was the consolation that they were rejoicing. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord that He has given us a salvation that we don't have to keep that stuff that you guys have been doing. <coughs> I mean, think of these Gentiles. These Gentiles had lived among these Jews. These Gentiles had lived among and around the Jews and had seen their system of, of, of religion. They had seen that they're all the time having to make these sacrifices, make these sacrifices, and that God's holy law was condemning every one of them, and they all had to come by blood and, and give all this stuff, and the priests and the sacrificial systems and everything. They say, listen, whew, I'm glad we don't have to be a part of that. And that is just by grace. See, whenever we preach freedom in Christ, because Christ has kept the law for us, he has been our substitute, he is our propitiation, he is our sanctification. When we preach these things, brethren, it's a consolation to the child of grace. Because the child of grace has been given spiritual understanding to know they cannot keep the law. These people have been born from above and have been taught in the spirit that they cannot keep the law, but have been left with just the law. These men were preaching, keep the law or die, and the spirit of God was in them saying that, that you cannot keep the law. And they was betwit, or they was uh, bewitched by thinking, I gotta keep that for righteousness, but yet inwardly saying, I know that I can't keep that. I know that I can't keep that. And so whenever the apostles came with the authority of Christ and the gospel of Christ and said, this is the gospel, it said that they rejoiced for that consolation. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 7, after he talked about that struggle with the flesh that only can sin and the spirit inside him who wants to keep the law of God and keeps the law of God and that consternation that's there between those two. That's why he began 8-1 and said, thank God there is therefore now no condemnation. Because that, because that struggle is real. That struggle is there. That wanting to keep the law in my mind, but the inability to do it is, it, I hate that. And it, and if our conscience is completely Immersed in hearing, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. It keeps that conscience solely and clouded. The preaching of the gospel and the freedom of Christ from the law is what purifies, what did we read earlier? That purifies the heart. It purifies the mind. It purifies our conscience from thinking that if I don't do enough, then God's not going to be happy with me, or I'm not going to be right with God, or I'm not going to be accepted of God, or I'm not going to make, I'm going to lose my salvation. No, no, the law comes in, and it kills. The law kills us. It kills our conscience. It kills our right thinking about Christ. It comes in and kills. But brethren, the the gospel is life. And it brings life. Now, I meant to get further than we did today, but I didn't. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I think this would be a good place to, to stop. I was going to go into Romans chapter 3, but we will save that for next week. Lord willing. Anybody got any questions or comments? Corrections? Or rejoicing in consolation? 
it's a wonderful thing to hear. Again, I'm not trying to to glorify sin or to encourage you in it, but merely to bring the news that Christ has paid for it all and that there is now no condemnation to those in Christ and that your law-keeping isn't going to make you any closer to God it's not going to get you any more merit, any more reward. It's not going to get anything more for you because your flesh profits nothing. What does it mean to profit? What's profit? Huh? What's profit? You boys and, and you girls, you're working now. What's profit? Gain, right? It's something that you get over the price that you pay. So if I bought a car for $500 and I sold it for $1,000, what's my profit? $500, right? I made another $500. I got my 500 back and I profited $500. Okay, so profit is something that, that we gain. And so you're not going to profit anything by law keeping as far as righteousness is concerned. Do I love people that doesn't want to kill and doesn't want to steal? Absolutely. Please, please, neighbor, don't kill or steal me. Okay, don't kill me or steal anything from me. Okay. Do I like it when people want to obey the gospel as far as it pertains to humanly interaction, human interaction? Absolutely. But for morality and everything, for, for righteousness, no. It doesn't gain us anything before God. The only thing that gains us in God's eyes is Christ and his commandment, his commandment is believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ. Walk by faith in what he has done. That's his commandment. And he has given us his spirit (laughs) to lead us into those works, those spiritual inward works of repentance and faith and and trusting and believing upon him. All right. (laughs) Anybody else got anything? (coughs) Let's bow for prayer. Father, you are most wise and gracious God to have designed such a salvation as we have seen in the course of the last few weeks and over the years as we study this word that has been so graciously given to us and for our understanding and for our knowledge of our God and our salvation. Father, we are so thankful for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We are thankful for the opportunity that we have together today. Father, we just are grateful for what Christ has done on our behalf uh, for all the children of God. And Lord, I pray today that all these that are here, I, I, I pray, Lord, that they are yours. And if they are yours, Lord, I pray that you would bring them uh, to repentance and faith and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might follow you uh, in uh, that profession of faith by being baptized, being a part of the local church, and that, Lord, you might bring others in this town that love the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they too might come. I know we we pray this each and every week, Lord, but that's the desires of our heart for our friends and for our family to be saved and for others who are out there scattered, your seed, that you have scattered throughout every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, Lord, wherever they're at, in every city, 
You have people, the Bible says. And Lord, we just pray that if there's any that's out there, any sojourner, any any pilgrim, uh, any sheep that is still uh, wandering out there without a place of shelter, without a place to fellowship, without a place to receive nourishment uh, by the preaching of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you just might bring them to us, Lord. We ask that you'd be with our members and our uh, other fellow uh, brethren that come, Lord, that are that are gone for uh, Kevin and Jacqueline and Alessandro who are down in Guatemala, Lord. We pray that you would not only give them a good time with their family, <clears throat> but, Lord, that you might keep them safe. And we look forward to seeing them again in a few weeks. Lord, we pray for Brother Ed, and we ask, Lord, that you just might keep him safe and that, Lord, that you might give him the ability to be back amongst uh, among us again uh, uh, soon. We pray for Beth, and we ask, Lord, that you might be with her and Mike as they've moved, and we pray, Lord, that you might uh, have a church uh, somewhere close to where they live where they might be able to go and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached and the ordinances of Christ are being observed and, and that they are sharing and ministering in that gospel uh, locally, Lord. So we just ask that you would be with them and for uh, her sister, uh, Mindy, and for the other family of Sister Luetta, Lord. We we miss her and we, we miss these uh, ladies that have come in the past. We also lift up the Father, uh, my grandmother, and we pray, Lord, that you be with her, uh, that you might give her strength and health. And, uh, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to guide us and direct us here, that you might keep us in the faith, and that you might uh, let Christ uh, be glorified in all that we do and all that we say, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen.